So we're in Acts chapter 2, and um, one of the things that we want to talk about, so I know, I know we, so do we, do we still have some 4th and 5th graders in here? So we, we got rid of the 1st through 3rd graders, or my 4th and 5th graders. Okay, we've got a couple, lovely. So one of the things that I've mentioned that I love doing in our service is kind of giving kind of our kid previews. I, can I still do that? I mean, some of you are still kids and at heart, so I'm going to give our kid preview of the message. Uh, but this is it. We're going to talk about what it means to be friends. If I had to kind of reduce it down to something kind of, kind of distilled and very simple, it would be that. That we are learning how to be friends together. And I want you to think about, I want you to think about what it takes to become a friend. Think about maybe when you made your first friendship. Think about friends that you have now. What are the elements, what are the ingredients to make a friend? Now, sorry, my, my iPad just crashed on me in the middle of the sermon. Isn't that wonderful? So that's... Um, just wanted to let you know. Okay, we're good. We're good. Okay, we're good. We're good. Some of you are like, you should get an Android. Uh, that's that's my problem. So I want you to think about. I want you to think about how you have made friends, and and usually this is this is my theory that the the main ingredient that is necessary to make friends is sharing. There, there are a lot of things that we need in order to make friends, but I think the core ingredient. To make a friendship, to cause a relationship to take place, is sharing. There is no relationship without sharing. Whether, whether it's sharing like a toy, whether it's sharing a memory, sharing a hobby, an interest, or even just sharing the same location that you inhabit, there is something about sharing that is necessary for relationships. So I, I was trying to think of like the earliest memory of making a friend when I was in kindergarten. My, my first friend that I made, his name was Zach. And I remember, like, this memory is flooding back to me when I was preparing for this message. But I remember showing up on the first day of kindergarten and seeing Zach. And he was wearing the coolest outfit in the world, in my mind. He was wearing a matching just sweatshirt and sweatpants. Just green sweatshirt and sweatpants. And, and I was, like, instantly drawn to him because at that stage in life... I was obsessed with monochromatic clothing. I just loved wearing like all red, all green, all blue, all black. It's just like, it's just weird. And so, and I saw Zach wearing this all green outfit. I was like, I might just be my brother, be, move in with me. And so I went and met him. We became friends. That happened because we shared something. We shared an interest in monochromatic wardrobes. That was our, that was our passion. And so if you think about your friendships now or earlier friendships in life, my guess is you can point to something that you have shared. And when we're early in life, that sharing is usually around sometimes more simple things. But as we get older, the things that we share, the things that we need in order to have relationship become more complex. I remember taking Eddie, my son, to the park one time, and he was, he, uh, he, I think he was about four, so very young, and, and, and he saw this other boy about his age, and he just ran up to him, and they started playing together. And then Eddie comes over to me after a few minutes. He goes, Dad, can I go to my friend's house today? And I was like, well, what's his name? He was like, I don't know. And I was like, well, sweetie, I think when you go to someone's house without knowing who they are, it's called kidnapping, I think. I'm not sure. But, but, but I was like, well, let, let's learn his name first. Eddie only needed to share the same space with somebody in order for there to be friendship. I say all of this to point out that sharing is what is necessary for relationships. But here's my question. Have we kind of lost our ability or kind of minimized or what's the word I'm thinking of? 
Have, have we lost the skill sets to form meaningful friendships in our day and age? I think there's something to do. I mean, I think COVID did a number on all of us in a lot of ways. And I think there are some challenges, new challenges that have developed in our culture that makes friendship difficult. And, and it, it is not news to point out the information that we deal with a lot of loneliness in our culture. In fact, many years ago, or not many, just a few years ago, the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, talks about how we have a loneliness epidemic. That it's not just like, oh yeah, we have sadness and isolation. Like he declared it as the U.S. Surgeon General, we have a loneliness epidemic. And just last May... He brought more attention to it with these words. He says, Our epidemic of loneliness and isolation has been an underappreciated public health crisis that has harmed individual and societal health. Our relationships are a source of healing and well-being hiding in plain sight, one that can help us live healthier, more fulfilled, and more productive lives. Given the significant health consequences of loneliness and isolation, we must prioritize building social connection the same way we have prioritized other critical public health issues, such as tobacco, obesity, substance abuse disorders. And then he says this, together we can build a country that's healthier, more resilient, less lonely, and more connected. That, that's coming from our U.S. Surgeon General. And, and here is my question for us as a church. So, like, I don't want to just say, like, so let's just form some social clubs. Like, I, that's not necessarily the, the remedy. But here's my question for us as a new church. Are we willing to see this as a unique opportunity for the church to step in and meet a need in our culture and world? Because I believe the church has a unique opportunity to be a group of people where anybody and everyone can belong and find connection and community. The church is one of the last institutions where, theoretically, anybody can be welcomed in and brought in and find a home. But are we rising to the occasion? And are we taking full advantage of this cultural need that the church is positioned to address? So if you know me and kind of like my teaching style, I like to kind of think of like one idea to kind of share together. And so the one idea for our time is this. The church that shares together grows together. The church that shares together grows together. So just to kind of give context where we're at in Acts, okay, so Acts chapter 1 into chapter 2, we have the story of Pentecost. We looked at that last week. The Holy Spirit has fallen upon the apostles and it has spread like wildfire. And we see this, this new fledgling community beginning to form from people of different linguistic and cultural backgrounds that are coming together, that don't naturally communicate and hang out together, and they are now centering themselves around this one person named Jesus. And so there's this brand new community called the church beginning to form, and they're drawing in outsiders, and because of that, the church grows. But how? How specifically does this diverse group of people begin to grow? And the first thing that I want to bring our attention to is this, is that they are a sharing people. They are a sharing people. 
In Acts 2, this passage in verse 42 and following, this is one of seven summary statements that Luke will use throughout the book of Acts to kind of like pause. Like he recognizes like he's a good like speaker communicator. He's like, I know this is a long book, so I'm going to pause and give you some summary statements of like where we are. Uh, it's basically like the version, like kind of the biblical version of like a picture. Like I know you need a little bit of a break with all these words, but he gives this summary statement to say this is what's going on at this point. And in this summary statement, we get a little bit of an inside look into who the church is, what they do, how they practice, and how those practices led to the growth and expansion of the church at this time. And what we learn is that whatever the church is, whatever it's going to become at this time, the church is a sharing people. So look at verse 42. This is the beginning of that summary statement. Uh, Luke says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now that language of devoted themselves, like this is, it's really strong language. It's not just like, and they considered, uh, you know, doing this. Like they experimented or they, they wondered what it would look like if they did this. Like they devoted themselves. The word actually means they strived after. They, they endured hardship and adversity to attain this thing, which was community together. And so it's not just something that they found to be a hobby or if they had time, they pursued community. They devoted themselves to it. And there's this communal language around it. To convey that this is what wasn't something they did individually, but as a people. And so what is it that they devoted themselves to? They devoted themselves to fellowship. That's one of the things that Luke records for us. And this is a very important word. Not just because it's 50% of our church's name, that is important, but, but because the word fellowship... Uh, some of you, I mean, even if you've never like, studied or understood Greek, you might know the word koinonia. It's kind of a common word used in church circles. If you grew up in the church, you might know it. But the, the Greek word here that's translated fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And it's actually really disappointing that it's translated as fellowship. Because fellowship kind of has this connotation of just like getting together and enjoying snacks. Which is great. I love snacks. I'm a big fan of them. Like, but, but there's more to fellowship, to koinonia, than just sharing food in the same place. It's no less than that, thank the Lord. But it is much more than just kind of occupying the same space and having snacks. Fellowship has something to do more with this idea of sharing. Theologian Houston Gonzalez in his commentary on Acts says this. There is no doubt that koinonia is fellowship. It does produce relationship and connection. But it is also solidarity and the sharing of feelings, goods, and actions. I believe it's more accurate to describe fellowship or koinonia as the act of sharing or the act of oneness, specifically around a shared goal and mission. It's not just that we know one another, but there's something that binds us. I think it's actually appropriate to think of the language of like the Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring. You have these multiple people from all these different kind of tribes and people groups kind of in Middle Earth, and they come together, this unlikely group of people that are devoted to each other because they're devoted to a mission. And they're willing to endure adversity and hardship precisely because of this shared mission. It's, there's something about being bound together on mission that creates and produces relationship. I think this is true. All of us can probably identify some story in our life where that is true. And this is what koinonia is. 
But it's not just about sharing. It is about standing in solidarity. It is about entering into the hardships of people and being willing to take on their challenges with them and to share that together. There's a reason why the church grows as a multi-ethnic community in the book of Acts because of their willingness to koinonia with one another, to enter into each other's lives, to share each other's pains and burdens. They got close enough to care, and that proximity produced an ability to mend many wounds and divisions that took place amongst Jews and what we find later in Acts, Gentiles. Now, it's really important to note, well, we'll get to this here in a second, it's really important to note that before the church shared their resources with each other, Luke records that for us, they first shared their lives with each other. That they were willing to lean in and make relationship and connect with one another. The church that shares together grows together. But how did they share? How did the sharing people lean into this practice of sharing? Now we see this kind of in verses 44 through 45. Now all the believers were together and they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Now this passage has kind of been used a lot to kind of prescribe certain practices. Like in order to be a church, we have to sell all of our possessions and kind of do this massive garage sale or something like that. Now we could, and I think that that's a fine practice. But one thing to be reminded of in Acts, Acts isn't just a collection of things that the church must do, but it is a description of what the church was doing and allowed it to grow. So does it necessarily mean we must all liquidate our assets and then give them to to the group? Maybe, but it's not necessarily a prescription of what must be done. The point is not so much what they did, but the spirit from which they did it. The the, the early church, what they did after encountering the radical generosity and love of God, what that did to them is that it totally reoriented their understanding and their relationship to their possessions to where they said, no longer do, do I see what I have as mine. It is the Lord's and to be used for his purpose. So it's actually more than just saying, okay, so we need to sell stuff and give it to people. It's actually first having a mindset that God is the giver of all things and that he has the right to use our resources, whatever they are, for his purposes. In his commentary on Acts, Ben Witherington says this in describing kind of what's going on here. What is described here is that no one was claiming any exclusive right to whatever property he or she had. And when need arose, the early Christians readily liquidated their assets that they had to take care of fellow believers' needs. What's more radical than just being generous with what you have is being willing to declare who I am, what I have, what I'm capable of doing is not of my own accomplishments, but of the Lord. That's actually the greater miracle because of our natural tendency to be self-entitled and to assume we are what we are, we have what we have because of what we have done. This just happened naturally to a group of people that encountered Jesus' radical love. The gospel radically transforms our understanding of ourselves, of our stuff, and our relationship to one another. And this flies in the face of common cultural narratives in our day, both narratives that you find more on the right side and more on the left side. This idea of saying all that we have is the Lord's and to be used for his purpose, it flies in the face of kind of the more progressive narrative of, hey, you do you. 
Do what makes you happy, regardless of what other people might say. That doesn't jive well with this idea of being committed, devoted to one another. But it also kind of pushes against the, the common narrative on the right of don't tread on me. Like what I have is mine, leave it to me. Both narratives that are common in our culture are challenged by the message of the gospel. The gospel dismantles our natural tendency of self-authentication, like, hey, I get to define who I am. But it also challenges our self-entitlement, that what I have is my own. And instead, what it gives us is a posture of self-sacrifice. And not just self-sacrifice for the sake of self-sacrifice, but one that is joyful and sincere, as Luke records for us. The church that shares together grows together. Not out of a sense of obligation, but because a natural response to what Jesus has done for us. And what's so fascinating, our tendency is to think, okay, so let's, what's the program? What's the thing that we launch? How, how do we kind of get this big thing going at Trinity to kind of accomplish this? And what we see is that the thing that the disciples did, the early Christians did, to cultivate this kind of culture and to allow it to grow, was to do something rather simple. It was to break bread together. And that phrase, break bread, a lot of uh, theologians will comment that it both means the practice of communion, but also the simple practice of just like sharing a meal together. That is a profound practice. Now, it may sound simple, but when you think about it, when you look at how often people actually dine together and share meals together, it's actually a radically subversive practice. There was a study that came out from the Hartman Group that found that 46% of all adult lunches are, 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 are consumed by themselves, alone, if at all. And it was interesting, I had lunch with a friend recently at Chipotle, and I kind of just did like, my own anecdotal research, and it, and it checked out in that Chipotle. There were, there were basically half and half people eating by themselves and people eating together. Conversely, there's a study that came out of Oxford that pointed out that, that when you share more meals together, you find yourself increasing in happiness. The, the research was con conducted by Dr. Obvious. Uh, that's his name. That was, that was a joke. You can laugh at that. It's fine. Um, but, but I mean, I say that a bit tongue-in-cheek, but that, it's truly like, like when you join together with people and share a meal together, there is something psychological, emotional, spiritual, dare I say, that happens when we engage in this practice. I think a great missional opportunity before us as a church, as a new church in our community, is to address this deep innate craving that we have for relationship. I, I recently, uh, some of you know this, but over the last several months I've been trying to meet with different leaders in our community. Middle school, elementary principals, uh, law enforcement, uh, I've had coffee with Mayor Bacon, who just name dropping. Uh, but, 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 but the point being is like, I just want to listen and learn, what, what, what do you see as the needs in our community? What do you see the challenges in our community, and how can we as a new church be a part of bringing about a, a flourishing community in our parish? And the common thread, one of the many common threads that came through all of these conversations was something to the effect of people just feel isolated and lonely, that people are longing for connection, that parents don't feel like they have a resource or a connection to other parents to know how to navigate the challenges of being a parent. That we find that, that kids are having a harder time coming to school because they don't have relationship at school. Santa Fe Trail has a massive problem with, uh, with chronic uh, absenteeism because kids are not coming to school for a lot of reasons. Do we have an opportunity as a church to step in and say, maybe this is our missional endeavor? 
I think one of the most loving, meaningful, and powerful ways we can love and serve one another and our community is to break bread together. This kind of practice is what moves us and moves the church from just being a sharing people to being a compelling people. And this point will go much quicker, I promise. We see the church becoming a compelling people. And, it, and, and I said this earlier, it's important to note that this is not a formula. So like, okay, so if we do this, and then do this, and then accomplish this, it will produce this outcome. That's not what Luke is trying to get at. But what he is showing us is kind of just what happened in the church and how it grew. It doesn't mean that we apply it exactly in the same way, but it's at least worth paying attention to. What's worth mentioning is that the church, as a result of them sharing together, they earned favor with those around them. Look with me at verses 46 and 47. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. So that word devoted shows up again. They devoted themselves to meeting in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. So they they engaged in this community in kind of a formal religious setting. But then they also did it naturally in their homes. And what happened? They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. And the result of that is that they praised God and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. That there was something about this people that dined together, which did not look natural because you had people from all these different tribes and languages coming together, and that produced a favor in the community. Notice the practice is both in the temple and in the homes. And through these acts of sharing together, it drew people to them. Because in the church, in this time, the church was seen and known for what they were for less than for what they were against. And man, if, I, if we could reclaim some of that posture for the church to be known what she is for and not so much for what she is against, I believe that would be a powerful thing for the church and for our world. I, I've mentioned this quote before by Madeline LaEngle who wrote uh, A Wrinkle in Time. I love it so much. But she says this, we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. May our community, our parish, our neighbors, and our world know and see Jesus through us by what we are for rather than what we are against. And, and that starts with us. That really does start with us. And so, so what I would say is, how do we lean into this? And, and one thing, again, like, yes, I think we want, I think many of us are here at Trinity because we want to have an impact in our community. And, and that is a beautiful thing, but I think it does start by us loving one another. And so what I would say is be intentional in the space that you're in. I love our extended greeting time. Use that time to not simply talk to the same three people. I'm not saying that that's what you're doing, but let's be intentional in saying, who here? Do I not know who here needs to be connected with? Instead of thinking about church as what do I need? What do I get out of it? What if we approached this place and this people with the mindset of who needs to be loved and known? So move around, get to know one another, and invite people in your home. Like you don't, you don't need like my permission or anybody's permission to be like, and you, you can dine together. Like I've loved hearing and learning about people in Trinity who have made connections and had people in their homes together. It's a beautiful thing. Be willing to do that and, and keep it simple. I think sometimes we assume that like to have people over, I have to like, I have to hire like a cleaning crew with like a, like a sandblaster to get all the stuff out of my floor or whatever. It's like, just like have people over and embrace the mess and chaos of your life. Don't, you don't feel like you have to serve like caviar or whatever. 
don't know who serves caviar. I've never had it. But like, don't feel like you have to make it super fancy. Lean into the simplicity of just being together in the same space. I would encourage you to, to find ways to even connect with people who are either 10, 20 years older than you or younger than you. And don't just default to kind of just talking to the people who are kind of in your same stage of life. Keep it simple and find ways to be together. In fact, what I want to do, my, my friend Josh uh, inspired me. Uh, Josh Duclet, Josh is over here. Josh inspired me. So we were part of a, a, a men's workout group. And one of the, it's called F3, in case you want to know about it, but uh, talk to me later. Um, but the point is, one of the things that Josh did is a way to try to get some of these guys to get to know each other a bit more is he created this thing where you, you fill out a form and he just pairs guys together and then they find a time to get together and meet and have lunch. And it is a profoundly impactful thing. It kind of, it, it, I love it. And so I asked Josh, like, can we, can I, like, like, I don't know if it's copyrighted, you know, but it's like, can we do that at Trinity? So what we're going to do is in our next newsletter, we'll share more information about it, we're going to do something called Bread Breakers. Of course it had to have a name. Uh, so, but what we're going to do is I'm going to send out this form. And if you're interested, you can fill out this form and you will have your name and we'll pair you with somebody. So we're going to keep guys with guys, girls with girls. And just for the sake of kind of our child protection policy, only 18 and over for now. If you high schoolers want to do this on your own, talk to me. We'll figure it out. But here's what I would say. If you would like to participate in that, we would love to find a way to pair you together, meet somebody from Trinity, and break bread together. And bonus points is if you pray. That's If you want to do that together, you earn bonus points. So again, I'm not forcing this upon anybody, but it's just a way to try to get us to practice breaking bread together. And then here's, so that, that's, that's the first thing I want us to try. The second thing I want us to try is this. And this one I'm really excited about. I mean, not, not that I'm not excited about that one, but like, I'm very excited about this one. We're going to not just practice, we're not just going to preach this passage. We want to practice it. And so we're going to do something, and again, of course, it has to have some cheesy name. We're going to do something that we're calling 242 Sunday. And so on February 25th, in two weeks, Three weeks? Whatever. In a time in the future, I can't do math on the spot, what we're going to do is on that Sunday is practice what, we're, what this passage is. And so what we're going to do is we're, we're going to have tables and chairs set up. We're going to have a potluck brunch. We'll have a sign-up genius so that everybody has something to contribute to the table. And the idea is to gather in groups of like 9 to 10 and get to know one another and pray together, break bread together, We'll still participate in communion. We may have a time to sing a song or two together. We're not going to preach. Some of you are like, hallelujah. But the point is that that's what we want to practice. We don't want to just simply preach this passage. We want to practice it. So more information to come, but mark your calendars. February 25th, it will be our 242 Sunday where we put into practice what we plan to do from this passage. So with that, let me, let me close with this. What we see in Acts 2 is a people who began to lean into their identity as a sharing people. It led to them becoming a compelling people. And it's what produced them to become a growing people. Pentecost is this revelation of who God is and that he is a God for all peoples. That revelation led to this massive response of faith and repentance in people who were far from Jesus. That faith and repentance led to this spontaneous worship of God. And that worship of God produced a community of people who were not naturally meant to be together. And that unnatural collection of people led to generosity and favor with the community. And it resulted in the lost being found. Again, this is not a formula per se that we follow, 
But I think we would be foolish to not consider how to lean into what the early church did in hopes of seeing those who are far from Jesus brought near. Amen? And so would we be willing to lean into this practice, not just so we can get to know each other, not so we can find out who makes the best breakfast casserole in our church, but so that we might model for a need, a needing and desiring community that is desperate for community and belonging so that they might find Jesus. The growth of the church did not come from the top down, but from the bottom up. And it was through the radically subversive act of naturally divided people, Jews and Gentiles, sharing meals together that created unnatural friends. The goal of church is to not simply be a large powerhouse of impact, but rather a faithful, committed people following Jesus in the small, simple, everyday stuff of life. And I'm going to close with this quote. Uh, Violet, I'm going to skip this slide and go to the next one. There's a phenomenal book called The Simplest Way to Change the World. And it's, it's a short little book, and it's all about biblical hospitality. And, and, and the authors, Dustin Willis and Brandon Clements, say this. And what I would suggest is that what we need is not a new strategy, but perhaps lean into an old, timeless strategy. He says, in our they say, in our increasingly hostile culture, the importance of hospitality cannot be overstated. Let's do a little less talking and a little more eating, and who knows what Jesus might do. By the simple act of opening your door, you are joining in on what God is doing to heal the planet and welcome prodigal sons and daughters back into his family. I think the most effective way to bring people to the Lord's table, so to speak, is to bring people to our dining room table. And so my hope is that this message would, would be used by the Spirit to activate in us a desire to break out of our comfort zone, so to speak, and to show others what we have been shown in Christ abundantly. Because this is what Jesus has done for us. Leaving the comforts of heaven to enter into our brokenness and to draw us near. Before he invites us into his family, he invites us to himself. And may, may that truth, may that grace, may that love of Jesus who became our sin so that we might be drawn near, may that be the source and motivation of our ability to love our neighbors so that those who are far from him may be found. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace towards us. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which you are at work in the simple and mundane, seemingly mundane things of life. Lord, I ask that you would stir within us, not a sense, I, I pray against a, a religious obligation that, that moves us to act, but Lord, rather would you stir within us an understanding and a, a grasp of your generosity towards us so that we might then respond by being a generous people to those around us. Lord, my hope is that through our practices of putting into play what we see in Scripture would result in people who are far from you being drawn near, but also, Lord, for those of us who may not be as near as we might think, that we would be drawn nearer to you and to one another through this practice. Lord, would you in instill within us a desire to reflect your love, your generosity and hospitality to one another and to our neighbors, and would you do it for your glory and for our good? We thank you and pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.